You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, it's so great to be with you guys today and uh, to worship and celebrate, and I'm grateful for that. And I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, you, last week, we talked about seven faith lessons, and I got through all seven. We weren't here all afternoon. And uh, this morning, we're going to do it again, but this time, it's going to be seven lessons of worship. And uh, the next story that we're going to look at, really the heart of it is, what does it mean to worship Jesus Christ? We talk as a church a lot about faith, and we should. It's the core, it's the currency of heaven just that we've talked about so many times before, but worship is as well. And we don't tend to step back from worship. We tend to think of worship as something that we do, not something that we think about. And we usually think of it as something that we do on a Sunday morning as we sing, you know, as we pray and do those kinds of things. But we're going to see this morning that it involves a whole lot more than that. In fact, when you, if you look at the first 10 commandments, you know, the first several on the list really are all about worship. We're not to have any other gods before the Lord God in heaven. We're not to take His name in vain. And just all of that, our life is to revolve around worship. So take your Bible, if you would, and look with me in John chapter 12. Uh, John chapter 12, we're going to look at just the first eight verses. Uh, so open your phone, your app, or however you roll. And uh, I'm curious, how many of you actually bring a paper Bible with you most weeks? How how many? Wow, there's a few. Okay. Most folks, are, you know, it's all about the phone and that works. It's okay. So look at, look at John 12 and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, this is a significant Passover. Jesus is about to die on the cross. He has one week left uh, on this earth uh, before his crucifixion and he knows it. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Bethany was just two miles from Jerusalem, so he's getting very close to the cross. Bethany was where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, that's Lazarus, one of Lazarus' sisters, you'll remember from the story last week. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary... She's also a sister of Martha and Lazarus, therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard. Probably most of us don't have nard sitting at home. And to be honest with you, nobody's exactly 100% sure what it is, but it was expensive and it smelled good. That's all you need to know. Expensive and it smelled good. Pure nard. And, it, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In short, that was a year's salary. This perfume was far more than whatever you're going to go buy at Macy's or whatever you're ordering online. It would take a year's salary to pay for this, okay? Incredible. And it was about uh, about a three quarters of a pound. So what's uh, 16 ounces in a pound? So is that 12 ounces? So we're not talking about a, a ton here. And uh, so he said, why didn't you sell this? Give it to the poor. We'd have this money to give it to the poor. And he said this in verse 6, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. They needed a forensic accountant back in the first day. Like, where's the money going? You know, it's going where it should not be going. Jesus said, leave her alone. 
so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. I want to share with you seven lessons of worship. The word worship is not used in this passage, but it's obvious. Jesus is there ministering. It's a week before his crucifixion. I can only imagine what's going through his mind. Yes, he is God, the Son, but he is also the Son of Man. And the human side of Jesus knows he's about to be crucified, impaled, as it were, on that cross, and take upon himself the weight of the world, the sins of the world, and to walk through that whole process, experiencing what the full picture of separation from God the Father, and we can't even begin to fathom all that he is taking on. And he's there, and they're sharing a meal, and Martha is busy doing what apparently Martha does, cooking and serving and all of that. And Mary comes, and she takes this uh, ridiculously expensive perfume, this ointment that was used probably in much smaller quantities. You know, if there was a celebration, an event, a party, or something like that, you would put a little bit on. And, uh, and so she took the whole thing, so expensive, and poured it out on Jesus' feet, anointing his feet. And she wiped off the excess, not with a towel, but with her hair, just in lowly submission of just laying herself, pouring out her heart in worship, devotion to, to the Lord of heaven. First thing I want you to recognize this morning is that worship is at the heart of who we are and what we're made for. Worship is at the center. God made us worshipers. Worship is what we do as people. That it's We are what the moon is to the sun. We are to God. God made us to reflect His glory and His light. We are the crowning part of His creation. The whole world around us shows the glory of God. But as people, he is, we especially show that as the crowning picture of it. We're the ones He even sent His Son Jesus to die for. And so He made us to worship. Now that, that means two things. That means that every person in this world, regardless if they are in church this morning or not, regardless of what they believe or not, whether they believe in some other God or multiple gods or no gods, it means that everybody worships something. Everybody is made a worshiper. You cannot escape it. It's it's who we are. It's why we can be in awe. It's an incredible sunset and just be amazed at that because there's something that God put inside of us to see and to value and to appreciate. It's why so many are amazed at the power or the serenity of the ocean. It's why some are moved by particular music or particular you know, piece of art. It's inside of us we are made to see and to go wow and to be amazed and to appreciate those, those kinds of things. You who have pets at home get this. Your pet may appreciate a little treat every now and then. Some probably more now than then. You know, your pets probably appreciate being fed and maybe being inside and out of the rain, but they don't step back and look at you and say, wow, you are just awesome. You think they do, but they don't. They are, they're kind of like teenagers that just see mom and dad as dollar signs. You know, can I get this? You know, the pet's just like, can you get me food? And that's all they see. We as people step back and we go, that's amazing. We look at the Grand Canyon and we think it's incredible. We think about what it is to whether it's flying to the moon or look at the sciences. We just, we are made in our heart to appreciate and to, to the point that we worship and we say, that is absolutely amazing. It's who we are. Now, it's a good thing when you worship the right thing. 
This is very simple. This is not complicated. It's a bad thing when you worship the wrong thing. God made us to worship Him. And He's not just the right thing. He's the good thing to worship. But when you and I, or when the world around us, worships the wrong thing, it's a very bad thing. In essence, there are only two options. You either worship the one who made this world, or you worship something else that was made. You either worship the one who is glorious, who made the wow, who did the amazing, or you worship and you bow down and give yourself to that which was made that is, that is uh, failing, that is flawed, that is going to be, uh, you know, ultimately fall apart. You have one other, either, it's an either or option. And if we're being really honest, looking into our own hearts, What most of us are tempted to worship more than anything ultimately is ourselves. Now, I've been in many of your homes, many of your homes I've not, a lot of you people, a lot of people here are newer, but I've so far I've not been in anybody's home that had a little shrine to themselves, all right? Some of the grandparents in the room, and I'm soon to be a grandparent, you do have some extra pictures of grandkids, so, but that's, that's legit, that's legal, that's different. We don't, we don't carry little shrines to ourselves, but in our heart, what we are wanting to sacrifice for, what we wake up in the day, every day, wanting to make sure of is that self is taken care of. We want to make sure in our life that we look out for number one. And that's people who know Jesus and if we're being really on, being honest, there's people who know Jesus, and we know it's for people that don't know Jesus. Because we, at the end of the day, we want to bow down and make sure that we look out and watch over and take care of us. And that, at the end of the day, is idolatry. So we're all worshipers. You're going to worship something. If you've never sat back and thought of, what am I really worshiping other than God? You might want to take a little inventory in, in your life. The second thing is, is that we will never be fulfilled until we worship God the right way. We will never be fulfilled in our life. So many people are trying to find themselves. It's kind of code for doing crazy things. Well, he's just trying to find himself, or trying to express themselves, or be true to themselves, or be who they really are, and those kinds of things. And all of that is just code for us doing what we want to do and worshiping something other than God. You will never, ever be truly fulfilled in this life. You will never, ever really find yourself. You will never, ever begin stepping into that satisfaction of, of, of experiencing the very purpose of what God made you you for apart from knowing and worshiping God. The light that the sun, uh, the moon gives off doesn't come from itself. It comes from the sun. The, sun, the moon that we know and appreciate at, at night, its identity is wrapped up around the sun, much the exact same way that our identity as people is wrapped up around God himself. So you, when we worship anything other than God and the Lord Jesus, There is a lack of fulfillment. There's always a desire to go to the next thing, the next big thing, the next whatever, and more and more. And what happens is is we go down a road further and further and farther along into whatever mess and whatever direction and problems that we're having, and we in the process are never satisfied. At core, we were made to worship the glory of our God in heaven. Second thing I want us to recognize, 
Worship is our response when we recognize and see the glory and grace of our God. You see, that's what's natural. As we see Mary falling down at Jesus' feet, you know, we see her, the two stories that we see of Mary and Martha. Martha's always serving, which is not a bad thing. Service is a, can be a reflection of worship as well. But we always, interestingly enough, always see Mary just relationally sitting at Jesus' feet, learning. And here she's not just learning and teaching. She's learned. She's seen the glory of who Jesus is and the grace of who Jesus is. And worship is what's coming out of her heart, out of her body. She is falling before him and lavishing on him uh, finances far beyond would would be normal and even within her regular means worship is our it's our grace response it's our response to the grace and the glory of god we don't know exactly what she's thinking most likely lazarus has risen from the dead by now John kind of put his gospel together in pieces, so he's not following chronological order. He's not just, you know, doing an auto, uh, not an autobiography. He's not doing a biography of Jesus. But most likely, she's grateful that Jesus raised her brother from the dead. I know some of you, when your kids, when you were younger as kids, you were wished your brother was gone, but she was glad that Jesus brought him back, and she was blown away by that. But it was probably more than that, right? She probably in her heart recognized her sin and recognized how much God had loved her in spite of whatever she had done in the past and all the grace that God had lavished and that Jesus and a picture of what Jesus was coming to do. And she just naturally responded out of that glory and that grace of God in your life. Here's the thing. If you're not moved to worship God, there's a problem. In that moment, or in that season of your life, or in that lifetime, if you're not really motivated to pour your heart out before God, it means you have not really seen the glory and grace of God in your life the way you need to. See, that's the real issue. The issue we tend to think of in terms of checking the boxes, do religious duties, you know, almost like taking a driver's test at the DMV or filling out your 1040, you know, check this, do that, and all of that. And we kind of compartmentalize all of our things for worship. And well, I've done that. But here's a woman who wasn't following the rules. She just, out of her heart, naturally bowed down before Jesus and gave of herself because she was acutely aware of the majesty of God on high and who Jesus exactly was as the Son of God and of the grace that He was giving into her life. So if you're sitting there this morning like, you know, I'm just really not into worship. It's kind of not my thing. You know, that's great. I know it's important. I just don't feel moved by that. If you feel your, there's times, let's be really honest, where we just kind of feel cold a bit toward God. The problem is, is we're removed from the glory and grace of God and we're not feeling it because we're missing just who God is. It would be like you and I standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you know, and you would be like, Sean, isn't this incredible? I'd be like, what are you talking about? Huh? You know? And you'd be like, what this? You're like, isn't this cool? I, I, I don't see it. What do you, what? You would just be like, what are you talking about? Like, there's something wrong with you. You see, the issue is in our heart. Are we paying attention? Are we aware 
Are we dialing in and thinking about that? God has given us his word to give us that awareness. He's given us the world to help us with that awareness. And he's given us each other to help us in that. And so if we're cold in that, it's the fact that we're missing something deeply. And if, we're, if you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ and you're in that season, even if that season's because you're going through challenges and difficulties and you're, I just don't much feel like worship, and I get it. But what you need to do is rather than focusing on the stuff, is to start putting your eyes back onto God, who is glorious and who's full of grace, who's full of truth. And in that, that begins to change your heart. Worship ultimately changes your life. And if you're somebody that went to church all your life and never really been motivated in that, and it was just always something that you kind of did, you need to really check in your heart. Have you really seen God in His glory? Do you really see what He's done for you? And do you really see your sin? Because you really don't see the glory of God ultimately without seeing your sin. You can't look into the face of God if that were possible in physical reality. It is not. But if you could do that, you, you, you can't do that without in turn reflecting yourself, without seeing yourself. And so it's a recognition that, God, I'm a sinner, and oh my goodness, you are so, so amazing. And so I challenge you, if you've never kind of dealt with your sin before God in heaven, you need to take that step of commitment and surrender your life to Jesus. And if you have done that, that's a lifestyle that must be lived. Third thing I want you to recognize, worship also involves our sacrifice. Here's Mary that she gave... a of everything before her. She committed her time to Jesus. She gave a ex ridiculously expensive amount of money about that. To my knowledge, I don't know if Mary was married or not. I don't know where she came by this money or not. I, we don't know a lot about her lifestyle, but this was an, an exorbitant amount of money, and it was a ridiculous amount of ointment that she poured. It would be like taking a little bottle of perfume that you're just supposed to kind of go, you know, or whatever you do with it. Instead, it was just be kind of like splash, you know, the whole thing. And that's why Judas Iscariot was like, what, what, are you, what are you doing? This was a waste. Because worship involves sacrifice. You never truly worship unless you sacrifice. Always. 100%. Let's be honest. There is a little bit of a sacrifice to come to church on Sunday morning. You could have slept in. You could have scrolled the latest Twitter feed, looked at the latest social media thing you wanted, had an extra cup of coffee, could have gone and played golf this morning. You could have mowed the lawn, but you came here. So there's a little bit of sacrifice just to be here, for sure. But to worship God, to come here and to worship God and to sing, let's be really honest, that's a pretty small sacrifice. Am I right? It really is. And here she is humbling her heart before God. Physically, she is laying herself out before Him. Her, for her to pour that on His feet was so expensive financially. She gave of what she had. And as a church, that's why we're not embarrassed or bashful about making opportunities for you to worship God through your giving. We stopped passing the the offering buckets around when COVID hit because we didn't want anybody getting sick and going to the hospital. We, you know, we had the box out back, but 
That's it's a form of worship of us giving to God. And as a church, we together make those decisions of how to spend that money and to give it to missions and use it for God's kingdom and God's glory. Because worship is a part of financially in our life, but it's even a part of our, our body. When it, it started in Mary's heart of recognizing who Jesus is and pouring out before Him, and then she made the commitment to financially give. And she made the commitment, and I don't know if she thought through this going into it or it just spontaneously came out. She poured it all out like, oh my goodness, oh, what do I do? And just decided to unwrap her hair. It was, it was virtually scandalous for a woman in first century Israel to walk around with her hair undone. They didn't, you know, ladies had long hair, but it was, I don't know, pinned up or whatever, you know. And she undid it and wiped his feet with her hair. That would be humbling. I, if anybody did that to me, I would be really uncomfortable. Like even my wife would be like, whoa, I don't, this is... But in that world, the feet, the, if you were a servant, cleaning and washing of the guest's feet was the lowest of the lowest of the low. And what she was saying is that, that before God and before everyone around here, I am so unworthy of you, Jesus. And I'm going to use my own precious hair that's so valuable and important to me to take care of you. There was a sacrifice of her heart and soul. In fact, if you struggle with worship, it always starts in our heart and it goes out. People don't struggle to financially you know, bless and serve God sacrificially. They really struggle in their heart to value that. Because when your heart's there, you just naturally, your body and everything goes there. And so worship by nature is sacrifice. And because of that, worship is far beyond just singing songs about God or Jesus. And I'm grateful that we sing those, and our team works so hard to do that week in and week out, and I'm so grateful for that. But worship is much more than that. All that it takes is a heart that recognizes the glory of God and sacrifice. That's it. And you can do that in your home. You can do it out and about. But those are the elements of it. It's you genuinely giving of God to God. Third thing, or fourth or fifth, wherever I am, I don't know. Maybe fourth, is that about right? Worship recognizes Jesus' sacrifice. Worship is an act of sacrifice for us, but it's in recognition of the sacrifice of Jesus. Look what Jesus says. Judas Iscariot complained, why did she pour this out? Began criticizing her about that. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. In fact, we'll see the other apostles joined in that. But Jesus says, no, this is a good thing. Leave her alone, in verse 7, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. What Jesus is saying is, guys, I'm about to be crucified and buried, and you guys aren't getting it. Mary does get it. She's doing this for my burial. You see, our worship recognizes not just God and His glory, but we recognize that no matter how much we sacrifice, that Jesus sacrificed so much more and is worthy, that He hung on the cross to pay for your sins, for you, that you could not only be forgiven of that, but you could have an eternity in heaven with God, that you could walk around today that all the shame in your life can be removed, all of the guilt of your life removed, that you can live with such a hope 
and such a blessing of God just superintending and working in your life that when you're a child of God, to know that God is always watching and protecting and keeping and guiding and guarding, that, that instead of not just missing out on hell, that God gives you all of this good stuff, and she knows that that was only possible because Jesus took her place on the cross, that her sacrifice, as great as it was, paled in comparison to what Jesus was going to do for her. You see, when you and I realize that, that turns around and leads us to sacrifice for God. And our worship for Him is always centered around Jesus. If you're here from other churches, and I don't know which church you've you know, come from or been a part of, but you will notice we will always sing about Jesus and what He did on the cross, because that's at the core of what, how we know Him and how we live. And it's at the core of the freedom that He gives us, that, that He breaks that bondage of sin and gives us... doesn't mean that, we're for, that we are sinless. It means that we are forgiven sinners and that for the first time in our life, we can live in a way that pleases and honors God. Um, they're forward. And as we, as we do that, as we worship God, it changes us on the inside. Have you ever stepped back to wonder exactly what Mary was feeling? I know we can't know because the Bible doesn't tell us this. So this is not always the best way to interpret the Bible. In fact, it's rarely the best way to interpret it. But it helps us to think about this a little bit in this case. How do you feel when you are really grateful and somebody does something for you? How do you feel? There's there's usually two two trajectories in my life for that. I either am so amazed at what somebody did for me and think they're incredible, or I think I deserve it, and I think I'm incredible, and it's really about me. Really, there's two directions you know, to go that way. Parents and grandparents, and you give things to kids, hopefully they recognize you're incredible, but sometimes in their heart, they think they're incredible and they deserve it, and that's a problem. Mary thought Jesus was incredible. And there was gratitude. And there was a thankfulness in her soul and an awe of Jesus. When you're really grateful that somebody's done something for you, doesn't that feel good? That feels good. It doesn't feel bad. Selfishness always feels bad. Gratitude and worship always feels good. I'm pointing this out because we want to feel good in our life. And we do all kinds of things in the culture around us to make ourselves feel good. We will pay all kinds of things. Just think it through a little bit. And yet here we have an example that to experience incredible things in our own body let alone our soul before God. All we have to do is it costs us, you know, nothing other than our heart and yielding to Him. But He's paid this price, and it's just a reflection as we give thanks and honor and a gratitude in our soul. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Last couple of things. Worship means that we also must be humble. It involves our humility. We must humble ourselves before God. And therein really is the reason why most people don't want to follow Jesus. 
We don't, as people, as sinful people, we don't naturally want to be humble. We don't want to be beholding to anybody. We don't want to come underneath anybody. In fact, it's in our culture today, it's more empowering to show that you're not underneath anybody and that you're somebody and can do. But worship by nature is always humbling. It always means that as we worship God in heaven, that we need Him and we're dependent on Him and that He's above us and that we're below Him. It's recognition of our guilt and our shame not to stay in there, but to recognize that He's freed us and forgiven us. And without His work, we have no hope. It's deeply humbling to worship God at the end of the day. You see, worship is not always just a, hoo-hoo, this is great music. Now, I'll tell you a secret. I like, I like music. I like the beat. I, you know, Christians are like, well, I don't listen to the beat. I like the words. The words are what are important to me. They're important to me too, but I like the beat too. If you get into the car after I've been driving it, you'll probably find the radio up pretty loud. And, you know, there's times where the music is, you know, moving and all of that that's maybe not loud and all of that that's moving to me. But I like the other. I want us to, so it's okay to enjoy that. But I want us to recognize that at its core, worship is not like, can you get loud or not? Or do you have the, the beat or not? And all of that. Worship at its core is you being humble in your heart before the God of heaven. And so the songs that we sing are to, meant to be a recognition of His glory and to celebrate that. And it ought to be times that it jazzes us and excites us and we go, woohoo! ought to do that. But there ought to be times that ought to be a little more serene and humbling to us. It ought to be all of that. It by nature is humbling to us. And that's why so many people at the heart don't want to be followers of Jesus. Even many who give intellectual disagreement to why they don't want to believe in God. Really, that's a smokescreen for a lot of people. Some it's legitimate they're trying to work through. But a lot of people at the end of the day just don't want to take accountability and responsibility for their life, for their sin, and they don't want to say and admit that they're wrong and God's right and they're in need and to put themselves under that authority. It's humbling. But Mary did. And there's something when you're a follower of Jesus because the Holy Spirit is inside of you that says, you really do want to do that too. And it, it's a humbling that feels good. It's a humbling that that we yield ourselves to God, that God draws us into Him. But it's something that He does inside our soul. Two more and I'm done. If other people's worship bothers you and you feel the need to criticize them, you need to be really careful. Really, really careful. Judas criticized Mary's sacrifice and worship. I don't know how she felt. She was in a crisis. Here she was pouring her heart out to Jesus. And man, Judas just slammed her down. I don't know how this meal went, if they were doing subs around the table and, you know, and she, she's busy putting it together and Judas is just raking her over the coals, but he did it publicly. In fact, we read the same stories in, in Matthew and Mark and we read in one of those Gospels that they criticized her. Judas started it, and you know how criticism usually goes? It's contagious, just like a virus and a cold. Other people jumped in like, he's got a good point. Why did you spend all this money on just Jesus? Like, this was extravagant. You know, this was a waste. 
They criticized her. You need to be very, very, very careful when we, you are criticizing and complaining about somebody else's worship. Be very careful. In fact, Judas was criticizing because he just wanted a bigger money bag, so there was a bigger slush fund that he could just kind of dip in and go down to Stewart's and get him an ice cream cone, or he maybe he was saving for his Ferrari. I don't know what, but he was dipping into the money bag, using it for himself. And he was all about the money because just after this, he found a way to make some real money because the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead and they needed somebody to betray him. And so they gave him 30 pieces of silver, which is a ridiculous amount of money. The warning to us is, is be careful. If you're chasing the money, be very, very careful. Sean, are you saying it's wrong to be, have a good job and to make good money and you know, to have success at that? Nope, not saying it at all. But I'm saying you need to be careful because it's kind of like manufacturing dynamite. If you aren't careful, it can blow up in your face. You can have a real problem. In fact, it could speak to something in your heart. Judas was pursuing money, and he wasn't pursuing Jesus. And it blew up in his face. It also means you shouldn't be surprised when people criticize you about your worship. We expect that. People who don't know Jesus and your family and friends and coworkers don't get it. Why would you go to church? Why would you give your money? Why would you sacrifice? What in the world? This is crazy. I love God. He died for me. Why in the world wouldn't I do this? So expect that criticism. Handle it well. But then know sometimes your own family and friends might criticize you. People who do know Jesus. Be like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't do that. But you give of your heart to God. You sacrifice and you worship Jesus. Last thing and I'm done. Our sin ultimately is what prevents us from worshiping Jesus. Our sin is what keeps us from that. See, Judas Iscariot wasn't at all interested in bowing down before Jesus. His sin blinded him from seeing the Grand Canyon. His sin blinded him from seeing the glory and majesty of what Jesus is all about. They were just blinders on his eyes. Even as followers of Jesus, when we are going down that road and have yielded ourselves back again to sin, we miss the glory of God, and it prevents our worship. The problem's not God. The problem's our sin, and we need to go back. If, we're, if we had already made in the past a commitment to follow Jesus and surrendered our life to Him, then we're forgiven. That sin no longer holds legal judgment against us for all of eternity. Our relationship with God is secure. He's adopted us into His family. He's declared us to be righteous. He's given us a place in heaven with Him. It's done. cannot be undone. But that sin in our life, even as followers of Jesus, messes up our relationship with Him, much as a marriage. You do something wrong in your marriage, doesn't make you unmarried doesn't break your marriage. Your marriage can only be broken when you, one of you chooses to break that marriage. But when you do something wrong that you shouldn't, and you feel bad about it, it sure messes up your relationship for a season. And the bigger it is, and the more often you do it, the longer you go, the worse that gets, until that gets all squared away relationally, and forgiveness, and, and coming back together. Well, it's the same way with God. And when we get into sin, even as followers of Jesus, 
we're not feeling the love that relationship with God is, you know, is it's still there, but it's just messed up. It's messed up. It's just a good theological word that I don't know how else to say it. And so we need to go back and say, God, for, forgive me, not the permanent positional forgiveness, but God, I recognize it. Change me, clean me. I don't want to do this. And there is a renewed humbling and a feeling good in our life, and we worship even more and recognize even greater the grace of God in our life. That even though we messed up long before and we trusted Jesus and asked Him to save us, forgive us, we recognize that grace. But then that grace actually grows even sweeter. It's even riper, if you will. When now we realize, like, God still loves me. I really messed up, and He still loves me and receives me. So your sin will always interrupt that relationship and that natural worship reaction with God. So I don't know how God has spoken into your heart this morning, guys. But it's clear that God wanted us with John 12 to get a picture of the way at times in our life that we should respond, that our worship should be physical before God in heaven. I'll be honest, I don't, and maybe I'm a weak pastor or a weak Christian, but I don't often feel like falling on my face before God at church. And I'm a little conscious we're all here together. Um, but there's a times I'm home and inside my heart, and I'll even be on my knees, I'm just like, God, thank you. Just grateful for the grace of you in heaven. And that ought to be a regular part of our life. I'm not saying it ought to be that way every day. Mary didn't do this every day. But it ought to be sometimes in our life. It ought to be a regular part of it. And if it's not, something's missing. And the something that's missing is something inside of you. And so if God has been, if you're kind of sitting there saying, huh, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Sean, this worship stuff, and why would people do that? Then really the place you need to go with God as we sing our last song is, God, I think I'm missing something. Because my head says you're really glorious, but my heart doesn't get it. Would you help my heart to get it? Would you help my life to be changed? I want to... I want to know you. I want to experience what Mary is. I want that to change my life. And maybe you, that for you means you really do need to surrender and trust Jesus to save you from your sins. Or maybe you've done that so long ago and you've just kind of become a little more calloused. The way sin works in our life, it's like cutting our soul with a knife. And after a while, your body just responds and it will create calluses and scars and the nerves will be damaged and you just won't feel it quite so much. And sin has that effect. It's kind of like a searing effect, like a put a steak right over a fire, you know, it'll sear the outside of it. And maybe you need to say, God, I know that what I'm doing or have done is wrong and I just don't feel that guilt anymore then the place for you to start is to say, God, would you help tenderize that? Would you help me to feel the realities and see it the way you see it? Because ultimately, what God is drawing us to is changing us, recognizing our sin, and living with Him our whole life is an expression of worship to God. That's what Romans 12.1 says. Paul, as he wrote, as those of you that have read the Bible and know the Bible well, know that the book of Romans explains salvation in detail and process like no other book. And after kind of explaining that all through the first 11 chapters, Paul then says this, based on all of that, 
Here's what you should do. I beseech you, brethren, he says, by the mercies of God, the mercy of the God of heaven who made you and saved you and loved you despite all of your mess, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, your reasonable act of service. That because Jesus saved us, everything that we have, everything that we are, ought to be lived out, given to Him. And when it's not, the problem's not God, it's on the inside of us. And so if God's kind of convict you in that, respond to Him in that. Many of you, if not most of you, don't need that conviction. Probably most of you. Then just simply say, God, thank you for that. I want to worship you afresh in my heart right now for all that you've been talking about and forgiving me. And maybe that's hitting you anew. I don't know. But whatever God's spoken in your heart, respond to Him this morning. Our team's going to come up and lead us in a song. It's a time of worship. But if you need to be quiet and not sing, do it. If you need to pray, do it. If you want to get on your knees and pray, you are welcome to. But if that doesn't make sense to you, then don't. But in your heart, Respond to God with what He said today. Pray with me, would you? Father, I'm grateful for Jesus, that He loved us and died for us. Lord, thank You for the testimony of Mary. Maybe we sell Martha too short. She was serving and using her own gifts and responsibilities and serving Jesus, and that too was an act of worship. But Lord, we know this story is about Martha, who just physically and in every way bowed before the Lord Jesus. Help us to live in that world and to, to see your glory afresh and anew. Help us when we are facing the problems of life to not be so blown away that we miss you in your glory, but Lord, to instead worship you even in the middle of the headache and heartache and to see your glory and to see your grace and somehow that to minister to our soul even when we're in the thick of it. Lord, help us to worship you in daily part of our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.